I did go to St. Pierre Miquelon. Did I tell you about the time I went to France? <laughs> I knew you had to work it did in. You, <laughs> did you really? I wasn't sure if you ever mentioned that. I don't think we've heard that before. Are you uh, kidding? What? I tried to go to the Netherlands and Tailies last weekend so I could be in the Netherlands for the Dutch Grand Prix, but I couldn't get a ticket. Awesome. What's everybody drinking? Thanks, Air Canada. I've got a good old trusty glass of Jameson's Irish whiskey. Cheers. Oh. What are you going? I have an IPA from Halo Brewing here in Toronto called System Overload, probably because it's an 8% IPA. Delicious. That'll do. That looks massively cloudy. Looks kind of like orange juice, though, on the screen. Uh, it's one of them IPAs you chew. Yeah, it does look. Chewy's about right. That's what it looks like. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking a White Water Brewing Co., which is right here out of Ottawa. This is their Sunsetter. It's a lemon-lime beach lager. I, I'm sorry. White Water Brewing Company is out of beautiful Cobden, Ontario. It's Renfrew County. It's the Ottawa Valley. Get it right, sir. Get it right. And we lost him. Well, I mean, maybe someday, Randy, you'll get a computer made in the last 20 years. I don't know. He does love Windows XP. We've made it to the intros, everybody. Yeah. Anyway, how are you, Phil? I'm doing fantastic. It's, uh, mm. It was a Grand Prix weekend. I got to watch it, albeit not live, but hey. No, no. I'm with you. I saw kind of laps, what, 16 to 28 live. I've gone back and watched the first bit and the last bit and caught up on the Twitter feed. Well, the first and the last of the interesting pieces in 16 to 28, you might as well have slept through. I know, which was ironic given that I slept through the first 16 laps. That's true. I think I left at about lap 17 and went by breakfast and then came back and then was like, all right, cool, let's do this thing now. You know, had it on an iPad beside the stove. Good times. Yeah, so we're going to talk all three races from this triple header. We're only going to do one box, box, box bingo today. And then we're going to spend some time just chatting about this last three weeks. Plus, we'll get into the silliest of silly seasons. And oh boy, has it been silly. And then uh, finally, we'll talk rules because man, oh man, have the stewards been on fire this past well, I don't know if they've been on fire if I want to set them on fire, but it's been a whole thing, man. Like, holy crap, has that been a bit of a dumpster? So we'll get into all of that. And we'll see how it lands. But of course, joining me today is a somewhat amalgamated panel. Of course, with us every week is the professor. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Yeah, I mean, when you talked about the steward sewer, I think it certainly is a sewer again. They welcome back. They're back from the summer vacation, having some fun. No, it's fantastic to be here. Watching the racing was fun for the last couple of weeks and get to get this recorded. Yeah. And of course, our technical guru, Gareth Stackhouse, with us. What's going on, man? Oh, happy to be back. You know, some stuff happened, I think, in the last three, four, five weeks, whatever it's been. So uh, much to talk about. <laughs> a thing or two, a thing or two. And I get to say the word shilly shally in a bunch today. Oh, good. Looking forward towards that. I guess you want to do your Spence impression? Oh, oh geez, guys. Oh, geez. Been jacked to the tits, to the tits, to the tits with this triple hitter. <laughs> I too am jacked to Spence's tits. That's <laughs> 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 been fun. <laughs> So let's get into it with everybody's favorite game. We're only going to do it for one race. We're going to do it for Monza because it was a lot of fun and all the other races were way too predictable. So let's get into it. Eric, play the clip. Bingo! Yeah, that's right. It's box, 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 bingo. The way that this game works is we've got nine boxes. The middle one is always set. All of the other eight boxes. We make a bunch of predictions, most of which are highly and likely and terribly uninformed. If you get everything right in your prediction, then you win the box. If you win three boxes, either in a line or on a diagonal, 
you score yourself some points. If you somehow managed to get an X or a whole box, I'm guessing that you probably went back and filled it out afterwards. So let's see how we did. Let's start with box one and box four, the quality grid, top five and bottom five. Gareth, how'd you do, man? Let's talk about our predicted top five grid. So grid is, of course, how everybody qualifies subject to any applicable penalties. And there were many, 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 many penalties. I want to say like seven or eight drivers. I think seven drivers had penalties on the grid. When they read out the lineup at the start of the race, it was penalty, 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 penalty. And by the way, the Astons are like 12th and 13th without penalties because they're last. That was like some of my favorite reading though on Friday and Saturday, like just exactly how many penalties can you could get just by opening his mouth between the time they were announced and the time they closed the grid. (laughs) Well, you're at the back of the grid, but you got 10 for being a bad driver, another five for this and something for something. And well, there you go. You your last, but our top five, as they lined up were Leclerc who actually qualified on pole and started first miracle, no penalties. We all had that. That was great. Followed by George Russell and his Mercedes, who I think was up five or six spots. Lando Norris in his McLaren, who was up a million spots. Danny Rick, who was up a million spots and won. And then Pierre Gasly started in fifth. Yeah. I mean, as I look at our picks, I mean, this is really interesting. None of us called Ricardo in that top five, even with all the movement. None of us saw him getting there. Gareth credit, though, he called Gasly in the top I five. Did. He did. That's I, what I was just about to go. Actually, like, he called Gasly. I'm actually going to win the box because I said Leclerc Alonso didn't happen. Russell Norris Gasly. And the reason I win the box. I didn't realize we were playing the four, four, four or five don't count, man. You don't I, win this box. You may have gotten the most right, but you do not win this box. We've had this I, conversation That's enough, that's over enough and over to pass the bar, but not this one, man. <laughs> well... I win the box because you all get a dunce cap for putting somebody in your top five who had a penalty. So I win the box just based on you know, reading the stuff. Ocon. Win the Ocon box had a five-place grid penalty. Ocon's penalty. Yeah, I missed Ocon's penalty. All of us did miss Ocon's penalty, but you don't win the, like, you, you don't win the box because we screwed up. It don't work that way. <laughs> nice try, re- Gareth. Nice try, but an epic fail on that one. It's a relative yeah. performance, everybody. Well, anyway. <laughs> Moving on to our bottom five predicted, I actually did win that because your bottom five in order, as I predicted, were Mick, K-Meg, Sainz, Hamilton, and Sonoda. Because literally all you had to do was go look at who's got back a grid penalties, figure out which way they're going to qualify, and then of three, pick two, and you pick K-Meg and Mick because the Haases were crappier than the Ferraris, or sorry, Sauber Alpha of Bottas. And say, you know what? Mick's probably going to qualify K-Meg because K-Meg can't seem to do anything right right now. Phil, what in the world had you putting Bottas at the bottom? I know you got that box for sure. I have no idea. Honestly, I was scrambling at the last minute trying to get my picks in. Well, Bottas was a legitimate pick because he was amongst that group that had penalties. And it was literally of Bottas, Mick, and K-Meg, which of them was going to qualify top of the three and not end up in the bottom five. Yeah, I mean, it was a crapshoot in terms of trying to pick through and trying to get where they qualified and then where the penalties were all going to put them. So kudos to you for getting that right, Gareth. I have to give you credit for that because that is pretty cool, I have to say. If there's anything I'm good at is being last. Well, you stand in and not the rest of us. Which leads us to the question, right? So for our listeners who are just listening for the first time or just to remind you, 
The middle box is always a set prediction. And this set prediction was that we'd have a land off. We'd see Lando go off. And I don't think he did. I think it was Danny Rick who was McLaren died. Yeah. So nobody gets the no, middle no, box. No, no, so. no. We didn't get any land off. So Lando didn't right. go off. I mean, let's, nobody got the middle box. He didn't go. Let's talk about quality though, right? I mean, that was weird. Like everybody knew it was all kinds of penalties, but it, I don't know. It was still a decent quality, all things considered. It was a great close quality. Yeah, Max and Charles in the flight. And I mean, the McLaren showed up all right. The Merck showed up all right. It was pretty solid, all things considered. Science looked fast all weekend. Yeah, he was there or thereabouts. He's like a tenth off of Max. Max yeah. is one and a half tenths off of Charles. Like, this is all the most minor imperfection stuff. You know, throw a blanket over the top five, really. And then everything from four down to nine. Fred didn't take it out in Q3, unfortunately. Again, super close. It's four tenths of the second. Well, that's an interesting thing that you said, because Fred did take it out. He didn't finish the lap. He did went not out finish the lap. Great lap in the Q3 and went straight back in again. And then he obviously in the race, we know what happened there, too. So was there an engine problem all the way from the beginning? Very well. Could it, what, it was an overheating problem, was it not? That took him out in the race. I really don't know what took him out in the race. Those Alpine Renault engines, and you know, it comes back to this. You see it with Alpine from time to time. There's only two cars on the grid running the Renault engines. You've got four running the Red Bull engines, six running, I think, Mercedes and the Ferrari engines. Do they need somebody else to be a customer team just to literally put more miles on their engines and figure out more stuff about the powertrains? Who knows? Yeah, fair. Spence, Spence, you old horse trader, you old so-and-so, you're back. You old muckety-muck, I'm back. Story I'm like <laughs> muckety muck with your couch based bedhead. You know, that's what happens. The back end of a uh, triple header. I'm sitting here on a Tuesday night and or sorry, a Sunday night, and I ended up uh, dozing off. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even know where he is. Doesn't even know what day it is. I love it. Rubble still the last two days. <laughs> oh man, I tell you, these triple headers are hard on the body, man. I don't know how I keep expecting us to do it. All we're doing is commenting, Spence. Come on, man. Get with it. <laughs> Fuck, you know how hard it is to have uninformed opinions? Dear God, three in a row. <laughs> Do you know how much Spence's uninformed opinions like suffer when he has to wake up at six in the morning to watch a Eurocentric race? The poor guy. Oh, man. Yeah. Singapore is going to be worse. It's 5 a.m. Oh, cry me a river. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Grumpy Spence on our text are actually more fun than F1 Twitter. At some point, we ever... <laughs> Get our shit together. I'm just going to start posting some of those on whatever website we have. Just like a transcript of our text chat. I'm not sure that's a that's safe. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not safe. But now that you've woken up and joined us, Spence, bring you up to speed. You've already lost box, 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 bingo for Monza. I basically won. And Randy and Phil are doing the Alpine versus Ferrari competing for fourth place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Gareth is just trying to pull a full Masi and it's just not happening. Like, any but not all does not work. It box, 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 bingo. So let's get a box two free predictions. This is a fun one, right? Because can you call it a prediction if really what you put down was like track one, side one of Beethoven's fifth? Like, seriously? What the hell? <laughs> like, the most reliable prediction there is Gareth. Gareth and Spence. Well, oh, no, yeah. yeah. We had slight variations on it. My mind was Gotifi gets out-qualified by someone who's never qualified a Formula One car, which is bloody Most true. obvious statement in history. I do believe that, let's see, Nick DeVries standing in Williams, Alitalba, and 
getting his appendix removed. Nick Latifi put in a 122.587. Nick DeVries was slightly faster in Q1, like marginally, marginally, marginally. He lost a lap, but he actually got through to Q2. And Nick qualified 13th, whereas Nicholas qualified 16th. You know, the guy who'd never qualified a Formula One car before was four places against the guy who's been driving the same bloody car for three years. So yeah, good work, Nick. But Spence, how was your prediction? Well, I mean, my prediction, at least it would seem, was a run of the money. Like you said, this is a variation of yours, and that's that DeVries was going to beat Latifi and kind of dance on his grave. And I think that's exactly what he's done. You know, first time in an F1 car, in the points, in a Williams, which is comfortably the slowest car on the grid this year, notwithstanding its, you know, speed in the straight line. I think he showed a lot today. And I think he may have finally ended the F1 career of Nick Latifi. And if he didn't, Damon Latifi will never die. Yeah. And as he didn't, like Damon Hill almost certainly did because he was pulling no punches when discussing it in the post race show. Like, you know, did not have a lot of good things to say, essentially taking a view, which I think a lot of us probably have at this point that now the Ross beat the view of Formula One. Yeah. He's done. Yep. No, I think Latifi's definitely done. I think Nick did everything he could and more than he had to do to make his stable that and statement that he should be in a Formula One car next year. I think it's going to cost another driver that's also got a heads up in terms of doesn't know where they're going. And that's Mick Schumacher. I think he's going to be out next year. I'm just curious though, right? Because did those Williams hat just say Nick on them? Because frankly, that's going to be brilliant savings in marketing. It is spelled very different. I know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if they spelled their names the same way, it would be perfect. Yeah. Sadly, <laughs> sadly not. Sadly, they don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's done for him. But I, again, I've said it time and time again. Like, I think that GoTV would be a great indie car racer. He just doesn't belong in Formula One. Not that I do, but doesn't belong in Formula One. <laughs> As Gareth said many times, it would be a great shill for Midwestern Fertilizer, Inc. And be a very competent indie car driver and a good ambassador for whatever brand is kind of on the side of the car. Doesn't have the speed to hang with the guy mm-hmm. who are there on there. No, he'd go be the next Graham Rahal, the guy who kind of everybody loves him, wins a race every couple of years. He's there or thereabouts half the time, and other times he's not. I mean, with DeVry, two last comments. He got a little bit lucky today. Touch on this later. There was a penalty he might have gotten, but the stewards actually said, Well, you haven't driven this car in a race before. There was stuff going on. So I guess we're just going to give you a reprimand rather than a time penalty. And he also skated through on a deleted lap for track limits and qualifying as well. So he got a little bit lucky, but part of the game. Formula One is luck based and it's capitalizing on luck. When you have the luck, you make the most of it. And he did. So well done, Nick. I don't know. We'll get into this later, but it's not luck if the stewards give it to you. I mean, it was good to see. I was happy to see him do that. It's fun. Was your free prediction, Phil? I love this one. Well, yeah, I took your idea of go nuts and I went a little bit too nuts, I think. I'm not sure what I was drinking last night when I was filling this in. But I said there were going to be zero red flags and yellow flags and safety cars. I got one out of those three, correct? There were no red flags, but we'll get on that later as to whether or not there should have been. Actually, Phil, believe it or not, you said zero red flags, which is correct, comma, yellow flags or safety cars. The word or is conjunctive and can mean either yellow flags or safety cars or both. Okay, so I win. There we go. Believe it or not, you got a point for this box. Spence got a point for this box. 
I got a point for this box. Rand, how'd you do? You know what? <laughs> Mine actually is something that cannot be either proven or disproven. So I'm taking the point on this box. <laughs> oh, if that's how we're playing this game, then I'm going to be really careful how we write these things now. <laughs> I'm just saying, prove me wrong that Aloe didn't make that car fatter than he normally did all year. So I'm not saying who he was blocking up, but Aloe was right there blocking some people up before he finally had a call. He thing. didn't, though. This wasn't <laughs> like in the previous race where last he really year. blocked it up. Hungry this year, yeah. even, where he really made his car white. No, no, no. There was nothing well, see, like yeah, that. Now, now I'm going to pull a Gareth and say, yeah, that's great. And that was last year. But my card says this year. So tell me where we use fatter this year. <laughs> sure. Give me a minute. <laughs> I don't have the gumption to go back through all the races to figure out which one it was. But there was one race where he actually did hold up other cars this year. So he was not fatter than that. Everybody takes the box, but nobody scores a point just yet because nobody's gotten a line. Let's get a fastest pit stop. How do we do? Who had the fastest pit stop? Red Bull Racing, 2.1 seconds. Beat Ferrari, who were second and third with a 2.21. And that's, by the way, the second time in a row that Red Bull Racing has taken that because they took it at Spa. Uh, not Spa, the Dutch one as well. Also with Perez. Hmm. I swear, one of these weeks I'm going to throw in a slowest pit stop box just to see if we can get that one right. Because, man... Ooh, that'd be fun. Like, McLaren had that thing sitting there for like five and a half seconds. <laughs> yeah. We will have to dive deep into some FIA docs to find that. But all of the pit stop times are published somewhere. So, yes, do it up. It'll be great. And you got to figure anything over four seconds, which somebody's going to have a four-second stop in any given race is probably going to qualify. So the slowest pit stop was actually K-Meg in his house because he had to serve a five-second time penalty during his stop on lap 24. All right, let's go over to box six, scapegoats. Who gets blamed for causing an incident? Did anybody get this? Was there really an incident? I don't think so. Don't think there was an incident. Um, Spence is muted, but it's pretty fun because right now he just looks like a Muppet talking, which is awesome. <laughs> they didn't pick the stewards because they're the real ones who caused an incident today, I thought. They were they were the incident cop. <laughs> the race director. Can somebody pick that? <laughs> I don't think so. There was a first lap incident or like something that happened in the early laps that somebody got penalized for. Was well, it K-Meg? K-Meg, he picked up the five-second penalty served in the pit stop for leaving the track and gaining an advantage. Okay. I thought somebody touched wheels. I mean, there was some first lap argy-bargy, but nothing that was noted by the stewards. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> The only things the stewards did was, yeah, K-Mate, you left the track, you drove. And then, uh, by the way, Nick, you drove erratically, and here's an offense for that. That's it. No points. So that's a waste of a box. We all lose that. All right. Who's on fire? fire? Who's on fire? This is my favorite box of the week. Randy, you got that one. I got this one. I called an RBR's brakes would be on fire. And sure enough, didn't Perez drive like three laps with like flaming brakes? It was great. Yeah. You are very correct, sir. I knew something was going to go wrong. I figured it had to be their brakes because it's not their powertrain. So. It could have been one of their DRS flaps, but good call with the brakes. Yeah, I figured they figured out the gaff tape stuff. So, All right, let's talk about the stuff that all of our fans actually really want to hear about. The top five and bottom five finishers. And by finishers, we mean classified after penalties as well. So how do we do? Top five. How this race finish, Gareth? Oh, young man named Max Verstappen. You might have heard of him. He's a big, big deal. He won first. 
Ferrari driver named Charles Leclerc on a okay, but not great strategy came second. Young man from Mercedes who literally shows up every week, you know, in your top five. George Russell finished third. Second Ferrari driver, Carlos Sainz, lovely hair of the most, finished fourth. And some dude named Lewis was fifth. Yeah, this is a great box because I actually got caught out by a spelling mistake, which was awesome. What should have been there was actually spent that, which took me completely out of this box. (laughs) Proofread, Randy, proofread. Clearly, it was awesome. Like I did not call Vettel being that high up and Max out, although that would would have been a bold call. But no, not so much me. I mean, especially given the pace of the Aston Martins and the fact that neither of them was a classified (laughs) finisher. Season going from bad to worse. Neither of them finished the race. Yeah, They did not. Speaking of people who didn't finish the race, I predicted that Fred Alonso was going to have a great weekend. The Alpines would be trimmed and just going for it. I thought he was going to be fourth. He wasn't. I even thought Leclerc was going to win at home for Ferrari. That didn't happen. And I figured that McLaren would be able to skate into the top five again this year. And that didn't happen. So no points for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for me, no points as well. I mean, I, I at least had Verstappen winning the race. That was one thing that I thought was going to happen. I then thought that Russell was going to pipe Leclerc because I thought Leclerc and Ferrari were going to do something stupid again, which arguably they may or may not have done. And then I thought as well that the McLarens were going to have a decent race and a race pace, but they weren't quite where I thought they were. Yeah, you know what? You win my heart on that box, though, Phil. Just Colin Ricardo in the top five. I love him. <laughs> I try. I try. Poor Danny yeah. Rick. Like He was going to score good points today until his Mercedes love blew up. Yeah, we'll cherry pick that later. Spence, how about you? How'd you do in this box? I think I took it, Randy. I had four of the five. Only one of us to get. Or the five. Sake the lawyers again. Yeah, once again, it's the same thing as Gareth on the first box. If you're close, you don't win. You got to yeah, take four it all. Five gets you the bar, not the box. Fuck. <laughs> no, look, I don't know what else to say other than I was clearly head and shoulders above everyone else here. I have Leclerc, Verstappen, Russell, Perez, and Sainz. So that's four of the top five. Sergio Perez got kind of his race was undone by uh, some brakes on fire early in the race. So he ended up finishing sixth. And good run for Lewis today for the back of the fifth. Missed him, but you no, know, well done. Yeah, I don't know. That Merck is looking faster. Well, I'll say that much, right? Like Lewis cut through a bunch of stuff and he got caught up a little bit and then finally settled in and ran a race. It was, it was good to see. Good to see. All right, let's talk bottom five. So bottom five classified finishers. We actually had four DNFs in this race. I don't know if it's the most yep. we've had all year. I don't think it is, but four DNFs in modern F1 is, yeah, it's a lot. And bottom five from the bottom, K-Meg was last. Some dude named Nicholas Latifi was second last. Yuki Sonoda, third last. Valtteri Bottas, fourth last. And then Mick Schumacher, fifth last. So Schumacher, Bottas, Sonoda, Latifi, and K-Meg. I'm sure Nick Latifi's crying into his Nutella saying, at least I beat one guy. Who was having a shitty weekend. So Yeah, yeah. who copped a five-second penalty and probably otherwise wouldn't beat him. Yeah. I got nowhere here. I had Dev not making it like, he's fine in quality, but I was like, nah, no way he scores in the points in the race. Easily, I had him 15th, but not all the way where he was. And I had Stroll finishing the race, but not so much. Otherwise, McShew, Sonoda, and Latifi, I got right. I just got them in the wrong order. So I'm with Spence. I think four out of the five, if nobody else wins the box, actually wins. I had four no, out of the five. No, I had no. Bottas, K-Meg, Stroll with a dollar sign, Mick, and Gotifi. 
So right bottom four, Lance Stroll actually had finished it all. His past and like melted down, blew up, whatever. So four to five. How about you, Spence? Sorry, before you do your thing, like Phil, can you Amazon a couple of participant ribbons for the two lawyers? Just keep trying to claim four out of five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll give them a little thank you for participating. We really appreciate thank you. you. <laughs> Because that's what they're angling for. But at the end of the day, no, you don't win this box. I don't care how much you cry. Speaking of Phil and his boxes, can you explain to us, Phil, how you thought that Mick Schumacher and Nick DeVries were going to tie? Because you've got them on the same I line. Didn't. I just got to hit enter, okay? Look, I was entering this quickly. I forgot to hit enter. <laughs> I love it. it. You just imagine the Martin Brunacol... And in a grandstand finish, Mick Schumacher and DeVry are looking for the last place. Oh, Latifi gets their last. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I won nothing on that box. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Spence? No, I got nothing, Randy. I had MSC, Magnuson, Vettel, Latifi, and Stroll. All five guys who had absolutely shocking days. But I think we had a couple of them, Fiddle and Stroll in particular. They weren't classified finishers. They uh, never made the checker. No. No. No, all right. That's another box, box, box bingo for this week. As always, we will try to get this up on social media, but really probably won't. So if you're one of our eight fans, please keep looking out for it. We're going to get it up eventually. Other than that, nobody wins a point this week because nobody got a line. We will continue to argue whether four out of five is good enough to be good which, you know, is still not achievable for Nikki, and that's the last time we're going to hit him today. All right, let's talk triple-headed, fellas. What were your impressions of these three races? Well, you know what? It was completely a dominant showing by Red Bull. He has this thing wrapped up, right? Yeah. Like, this WDC is over. Yeah, yeah, look, I've been saying the championships have been wrapped up for quite a while. In the back of my mind, I always thought maybe it's possible that Cheryl could put together a string of two or three victories in a row because, look, that car is fast, but... You know what? Max has just been too damn good this year in a car that is excellent and it has had very little in the way of reliability problems. They're not stepping over their own feet. And there's absolutely no way that there's going to be anything else happen by Suzuka than Red Bull crown in both of these championships. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Spence on that one. I think Red Bull have it nailed. And this is kind of... When you look at successive world championships, no matter what you throw at the drivers, nothing stops them when they've got a car that's working, a team that doesn't get shit wrong, and they've got the skill and confidence to put all of the pieces together. And Max is proving that over and over again. I think, will we see another five or six championships in a row? Who knows? But I think we've definitely got these two. This one and the last one are going to be his. Yeah, we'll get into it. The last one is still dubious, more dubious today than it was yesterday. But Come off it, Toto. Like, this one, uh, <laughs> whatever. Ain't, and not a lot to go after today. Anyways, we'll talk about that in a second. I'll give it to you. Like Red Bull has had it all season long. They've locked this thing up, which is fun now, right? Because now we just get to talk about the midfield. I'm hoping the TV directors get this right. If Max is up front, leave him alone. We'll just like, yeah, Max is doing what he does. Let's talk about the other races. Although I will say... TV direction in this race compared to the other last two weeks have been phenomenal. They followed the stuff that you want them to follow. They were on top of it. It was a good day, Monza. For me, 
Spa was boring and Netherlands was Netherlands, right? I saw that coming. I think I was more annoyed and ready to complain about players on the field than anything else. But, you know, Netherlands was okay. Uh, fan behavior is becoming a bit of a topic of an issue anyway. Whether it's flares on a field, it's booing in a stadium, it's insulting people. I mean, come on. This is getting stupid. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Happy Gilmore effect, right? Like, all of a sudden, everybody's watched Drive to Survive, and so now you're getting the Waffle House crowd into F1 races, and it's causing all kinds of craziness. It's fun times. That's right. I sounded elitist. Fuck off. Yeah. My overall triple header impressions, I mean, you guys have talked about some of the macro things. I will say, you know, we've watched, I think, maybe two out of three races before I continue to drop the ball strategy-wise or just not perform to the level a Formula One team ought to be performing to. So who knows what shit's going to go down there in the off-season with management and whatever else. But I will say we've had three great European tracks. Spa might have been boring, but I will forever be excited to watch cars go through Eau Rouge. For sure. And up that hill. For sure. Or even to ride on board at Spa for a lap of the track because it goes up, it goes down. You've got the compression of the cars. You've got massive high speed. Like that track has to stay on the calendar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Forever, I'm, I'm, forever. I'm with Lando on this one. I would be super saddened to see Spa go. I just was hoping Phil would get out the grass skirt a little bit that day. Just not as much as the How we didn't need that after no, last year, though. That's the whole thing. No, right? no, 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 no. You know. Don't screw this up. <laughs> not at Spa. We can't have a repeat. You know, I think it was, we had a touch of dampness here or there. It was nice to see, not necessarily in the race, but that was it. I agree with Gareth. It's a circuit that needs to stay on the schedule. It's fantastic in terms of the cars having to be supremely balanced with an emphasis on speed, but also, you know, you've got some lovely tight turns there that you have to make it through. You do, and you've got some super high-speed stuff, and you also have, like Monza, get there in a second, the ghosts of Formula One are driving around this track with you. Yeah. It's one of the older tracks, but I mean, it's only been on the Formula One circuit as a regular race, hosting the Belgian Grand Prix since 85. Yeah. It's had a couple of occasions previous to yeah. that, but it's a good circuit that way. I think the biggest issue for me is the loss of a spectator. Not necessarily the TV loss, but the actual spectators that go to the races themselves. That circuit, Spa, is notoriously known as a circuit that if you want to go watch a race and you want to do it in terms of just getting an entry ticket, that's the place to go because the bankings, the ability to see as much of the track as you can, it's kind of special that way. It's unique that way too. There isn't, or at least there wasn't until they retrofitted Eau Rouge and Radion, the stadium scene. There wasn't as much stadium scene. Yeah. Any track that has elevation changes can be great to watch if you're at the high point, I did that at Coda. You can see through the turn one grant, like down the straight and then through the corners complex. So just being able to go do that. So Spa was beautiful like that. The race was maybe a bit boring. The Netherlands, I feel like this year's race was just a little bit better than last year. There was just a little bit more passing because the cars can follow this year. Like the formula has worked, as we've said, the cars can follow and I get incredibly excited watching Formula One cars on banking. And there are, I want to say, two or three bank corners at Zandvoort. I think it's three. And just love that. Like, you've got banking, hammer down, go through the corners. So quite enjoyed that. You know, flares, idiots, blah, blah, blah. 
and then the Monza Temple of Speed. And you do, okay, the ghosts of F1, you've got the bank tracks there. People raced and people passed all race long. It was fantastic. I feel about Monza like you feel about Spa, right? Like I just love watching cars more. And Absolutely. Doing what they did, we were like high speed straights, parabolic corners, a little bit of bumpiness here and there. It's just fun. It's going to test a lot of what I love about a car. That's anyone else notice that the name Parabolica seemed to be back this year? The one year experiment with the it did. alternate name for that corner seems to have. They're called, I think it's still technically called El Barreto. But that's the one they're calling Alberto, right? After oh, Michele Alberto. Yeah. yeah. And everybody seems to, at least on the coverage, have started calling it Parabolica again. You know, with due respect to former Formula One driver Michele Alberto, corner's called Parabolica. Yeah, for sure. All good. It's interesting, right? And I'd love to hear what you guys take on this. Because there was a couple weeks there of like pure on Ferrari strategy. And when I say strategy, I mean, it was like, literally like, how far down the alphabet are you guys going to go? before you come up with something. I mean, even at one point today, Spence, you were like, I don't actually really understand what the Ferrari strategy is. And I think the answer was, we'll just hang on for dear life. It was kind of, it again, seemed a little all over the place. He seemed to be putting an awful lot of pressure on Leclerc to pick his own strategy, which is probably not what you want to be doing. But, you know, when you bumbled it so badly, so many times this year, you want to make him invest in the process. But, you know, I didn't really understand the decision. They pinned him so early and then put him on media and I didn't get it. It seemed like the hard tire wasn't a great race tire, but I mean, certainly two stops is not the way to go today. I guess they're just looking to do something opposite of what Red Bull was doing. And that's where they were, what they were kind of shooting for. I, yeah, there's nothing wrong with trying to like a contra strategy like that. It was not the Netherlands. I'll say that highlighted the quote that Crofty in the Netherlands was, meanwhile, Ferrari running through the alphabet of strategy and finding no love there. Something with no plan C. And then the second quote from the Netherlands about Ferrari strategy was, is there any penalty Ferrari doesn't want to pick up today? Which was a unsafe release here, an air gun there, and whatever else they were doing. The oh, wow. asking the drivers about the strategy, it, it was highlighted on the international feed today. Like the Sky team talked about it and said, you know, that Kurun Chanduk said, maybe they're just asking the drivers that's part of their plan. And by the way, we only hear what the TV director plays. And I think we hear this every other team. How are these tires? What do you think about these tires? We'd like to do this. So the Ferrari strategy is a shambles. Well, it is, but it wasn't today, but they're, you know, maybe TV's feeding into that narrative a bit. Yeah. And then it very well could. It could be kind of like the same narrative we hear when we end up talking about Y.E. Lewis, right? You're just hearing, you're just getting that view of him because those are the messages that are being played. But I don't think it would have mattered today. Regardless, you could have put Leclerc on any strategy. And the reality was he was just slow. He just was not in the same league as Verstappen. Yeah, I don't think Ferrari has the race pace. They have the qualifying pace regularly, but I don't think they have the race pace in that car. And I don't think that helps. I don't have a problem with the strategy they played today. I think they tried something different, and I think they had to try something different. They had an opportunity to give it a try. And if you don't have the race pace, you know you're going to take a hit anyway. You might as well try something new and different. And I think that's what they did. Yeah, as Gareth said, this isn't like Spa or Sunfort where they totally screw it up and everything like that. You are true. We don't hear what they're saying, the full details of the conversations that they're having. But it just... 
the way Ferrari phrases their questions to their drivers is unique. It's very That's different. That's a big question uh, at the end. How do you feel about these yeah. tires? Question. Question. Yeah. You know, it's such a, a weird way. And, and, and it makes it feel like they really don't know what the hell they're doing. I'm sure they know what they're doing. At the same time, I can't forgive them for all the mistakes they've made in the last, oh, this whole year. I think the, they've got real issues and they've got real problems and they, they have to deal with them. I think just saying, oh, we're not going to change anything is not the right attitude at this point when you've lost a championship with the one season when you've actually had a car that could win the championship. So this is actually the hot take that I actually wanted to get your guys' opinions on, right? Because I could watch racing every weekend. You know that because we're all the same that way. But like, does a triple header like this put just too much pressure on teams, both the strategy teams and the mechanics and everybody else. Like, it feels like we're compressing and expanding constantly, at least this season, right? And like, I love the idea of the 24 race season, but like a bunch of back to backs and then there's these long breaks. And then it just feels like, gosh, you're putting a whole lot on a lot of people. And when we see the cracks, we see it in things like strategy or slow pits. No wonder. I think you'd see it in slow pits. I don't get the argument that you'd see it in strategy. Right. I mean, if you're running, well, I mean, in a regular schedule, you got two weeks between race, right? So yeah. call it nine working days, really, before you're back into the next quality. By then you've reviewed tape, you've reviewed all kinds of telemetry, you've gone through all kinds of data, you did time to crunch stuff and figure stuff out about what's going on, even as the advanced team is working on what they know about the next race and working through simulations and trying to figure stuff out. Whereas, you know, after three weeks, like you're kind of going off the data that you had when you began the year and there's not a whole lot of time to do the science behind the racing. Yeah, I still struggle with that argument, but okay, I, I get your point, but these are professionals. This is their job, right? And the plethora of data. Yeah, there's a lot of data to go through, but at the end of the day, there's so much you can do in advance. They have a lot of computers for that. The fumbles aren't being made by the predictions that they're making in advance. Fumbles are being made in Ferrari's case by decisions they're making at the track. Or structural decisions that they have made months, if not years in advance. Yeah. You, Randy, have rightly called this the world's fastest engineering competition. I think you're correct. And performing under the pressure of both the pace of a race or the pace of a season is part of that. On the strategy side, nah, whatever. I mean, on the human toll, on like mechanics and stuff, yeah, I've talked about this before. There's been a few articles written about it by mechanics or former mechanics about how hard the length of the season is, which is something the F1 and FIA and the teams need to tackle. Yeah, I don't know. That was worth chatting about. I saw mistakes, you know, like the more excited you get, the more mistakes you make, right? And over a triple header, I saw a lot of stupider mistakes than I think most teams would normally make. I just wondered, like a double header makes sense to me. A triple header... I love it as a fan, but I wonder, just given the nature of the sport, if it was too much. Have we had any other triple headers this year? It was one earlier in the year. I think it was year. one earlier in the year. When everybody was fresher. It's all the same stuff then. But, you know, now you've been crisscrossing. Yeah, you had the summer break, but for a lot of these teams, you know, outside of the drivers, they were in the factory trying to figure stuff out, trying to do things and figure things out and choreographing. Yeah, who knows? Anyways, that was my weird hot take. Let's talk silly season, boys. And there's lots and lots and lots of hot takes to be had on the silly season. Let's start with Piastri. And Spence, I know you got a hot take. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's a hot take at this point, but I mean, a lot of what we heard coming out of Alpine just offended me on so many levels. I mean, just to recap for everyone, Piastri, young driver, and by the way, if you're listening to this, I assume you know, but I feel we should set the table. Piastri, young driver within Alpine, has been racing under kind of an Alpine-sponsored seat in F3 and F2 for the last couple of years. He's done extensive testing on older Alpine F1 cars. Alpine's clearly put a lot of money into him. What we think, and none of us are experts in this, what we think is that he's had an academy contract, which kind of sets out the details of how they will support him, how much testing they're going to give him, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't even an academy contract. It was kind of a, we bring you into F1 this way contract. And by the way, here's a separate thing about our plan for you. Yeah. But there was some sort of development contract that brought him into F1. Right. So I say academy contract, I mean something which like sets out how they will kind of bring him along over a couple of years, sets out a few team options for his services as a driver, blah, 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 through that whole period. Now, what it looks like is that they just did not get a binding contract in front of this guy for next year. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why that could have happened. My thought, the most likely reason is they didn't think that there was anywhere else for him to go. And they figured that he would be, you know, happy to sit around and, and wait. But, you know. I have many comments on this based on the CRB ruling that's been quoted. Yeah, but the important thing is, and this is the thing that I found the most offensive, was that Alpine framed this all in terms of loyalty. They questioned the man's integrity and kind of what he was made of. And in reality, this is just something that the lawyers there seem like they messed up. They screwed up. Or the lawyers and management tried to blame the guy for going somewhere else when they fucked it up internally and didn't put a contract in front of them. This is not kindergarten. It's not preschool. It's this is not, despite how our box, box, bingo games may go, it's not tiddlywinks. There's no participation prizes for these guys, right? Like Oscar has worked his entire life to get into F1. He did not have a route guaranteed into F1. He had an option that was legally open to him and he took it, yeah. which is what any rational person would do and should do. If Alpine thought that he would do anything different, then they must think he's got absolute mush between his ears. And that's not a guy would want to race it for me anyway, quite frankly. And absolute mush on his like very experienced management team, including former F1 driver, Mark Weber. Like it boggles the mind and maybe Spence and I are going to go a little bit inside baseball on this, but there's this thing called the contract recognition board, which is where you basically register a contract you have with a driver, either a reserve driver or an actual driver. And what the CRB is, it's effectively arbitration, which is private court. You say, I participate in F1. I agree to send to my private court any disputes we have about driver contracts. And it's all private, but the decision got out there. Um, Racing News 365 actually had a copy of it and quoted extensively from it. And it is effectively that the in-house lawyers, so the lawyers who work at Alpine, and there's one of them who's named, who's actually director of Alpine Racing Limited, as provided by Companies House, basically never put a contract in front of his management group for his services as a race driver or with an option for a race driver in 2023. That's what happened. It was, it's coming, it's coming, it never came. And then they tried to, let's call it half-ass it, 
they basically said, oh, what's called heads of terms. It's basically what we would call in Canada a letter of intent, which is, this is how we want to structure the agreement. This is how we'll draft the agreement based on, you know, item one, item two, item three. And they are non-binding, blah, blah, blah. And they tried to write, oh, legally binding on it and put it in front of him. He never signed it. There weren't enough details. And Alpine's in-house lawyers just completely dropped the ball. As the arbitrator said, they were shilly-shallying around. And were I one of those in-house lawyers for Alpine, I would be reporting myself to my professional liability insurer for that. Because as a lawyer, especially if you say you're an outside lawyer, you would have dropped the ball completely on that. And it just, it boggles my mind as to, and Spence, you've worked in-house before, I haven't, boggles my mind how they couldn't get the time to get a friggin' contract together for this driver. Yeah, well, I mean, she wouldn't, I mean, not that it matters, but she wouldn't have insurance to cover this because she's just an employee, right? She's employee, but say you're external counsel, you'd be reporting yourself to your freaking insurance. Well, I mean, look, she's becoming a bottleneck. She's got to get other resources to get it done. Like, and look, and it could be that she was slow playing then because that's what management was telling her to do. We really don't know. We, we only know what was reported. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, between lawyers and management, like it was an absolute royal screw up and they let one of their bigger assets walk away. Two of them. Two of them. They let Fernando Alonso walk away because Laurent Rossi was trying to play hardball. And Fernando Alonso said, I've gotten out. See you later. And they hadn't secured their other giant asset. And you would never do that with something like, say, your engine supply or your aerodynamicists or like whomever's supplying you with your raw carbon fiber. Like you would never run the supply chain for an F1 team for any other component other than the driver like this. Well, you shouldn't run the supply team for the driver like this either. And that's what we're seeing. My one question, and I don't disagree with everything the assessment that you said there, but my one question is, and this is an opinionated question. That's like time we like, Phil. Yeah, this is why we like me. Isn't that what lawyers call a leading question? No, because I'm not leading it yet. Is it the right move to actually put somebody like Piastri in a car that is designed and built around a completely other driver and expecting him to perform at a strong level? That's what always happens. Yeah, but not always like this. This feels to me a little different, and I feel like it's putting Piastri, it's going to be a lot of pressure on him right off the bat. Can he deliver? That's going to be the question. Because the idea, the whole idea for, um, I mean, it was shilly-shallying. It could have been dilly-dallying. We should all take a drink, you jerks. They were supposed to put him at Williams for a couple of years, a la George Russell, and Piastri's management team said, we don't have a signed agreement to drive in 2023 with anybody. And McLaren came calling because McLaren seems to have signed everybody except the four of us. And he said, I want to drive a race car. Call me, Zach, call me. <laughs> yeah. Zach, call any of us. I'm sure we'll fit in somewhere. I don't know which McLaren, but he said, I want to drive and I want to drive for the best possible team. And as Spence said, he spent his entire life doing this. So he exercised his best possible option to do that. And all this stuff like LaRossi and Otmar Safnau are going on about loyalty and this and that. They were not loyal to him. They frigged him around and they didn't give him a guaranteed, this is how we're getting you into a race seat for next year, the best possible seat. So Crimea River Alpine corporate. And I really think that somebody's head ought to roll for screwing up like this. Here's a bit of a hot take. Last year, when all of the crap was going on regarding the change to the aero rules, which really seemed to hurt the low rate cars, Aston and Mercedes in particular, and Otmar made a big song and dance about everything. I thought is, you know what? He is playing to an audience of one 
being Lauren Stroll, and this is not really what he thinks. But this smacks of that. It's the exact same thing. And it's actually making me think an awful lot less about our staff now as a result of how he's gotten on and in a couple of situations like this. Yeah. Well, he knows who signs his checks and who signs his employment contracts. Like there is a F1 article from a couple of days ago where Rossi, who is CEO of Alpine, who I'm sure is high up at Renault, said it ultimately came down to the fact Castro never signed legal paperwork walking him into Alpine, which wasn't true. Proper contracts were never given to him. And they say, we put contracts to him many times. They were never signed, which was bullshit. And Safnar was going on about loopholes. Not having a contract is not a loophole. It's not really such a thing, and Spence does more high-level contracting than I do. As a contractual loophole, there's really, these are the terms, this is how you have the relationship, this is how you end the relationship, and this is how you can modify the relationship. So, joke-ass motherfuckers at Alpine. That's my hot take. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you just blame Alpine, right? Like, how many times didn't, like, why wasn't Piastri's management, including Mark Weber, who knows this shit, insisting what the hell we don't have a contract yet they were what are you guys were they, they were yeah they just worked the room so again you, you got to read what i send you so quoted <laughs> from the crb decision like there were multiple times that mark weber was in like late 21 early 22 etc emailing with alpine's management saying I mean, there's a 15th of november deadline 10 starting point for negotiations and weber had emailed Director of Legal Affairs, Benedict Mercier at uh, Alpine saying, there are so many times I can tell Mr. Piastri and his father that it's coming. And in response to this, Mercer stated she was the bottleneck due to lack of legal resources at the team. And then nothing happened in January. And she wrote to Weber saying that, you know, she's blah, 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 blah. Like Weber was on it. And Weber then did exactly what he and the rest of his team and his management company ought to do, which was Go find Oscar another better seat. Find a drive. Yeah. 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 Go find a drive. Okay. Or maybe not better seat. I mean, Alpine seems to be, you know, beating McLaren right now, but well, Alpine doesn't seem to want to sign you. So let me go find you another drive. Yeah. It's go find a drive. But again, like it, I get it. Like Alpine after this up huge, but then like when Alpine makes the announcement, it felt like a, just a total PR botch to say no the way he did on Twitter. I was like, whoa, hold on a sec. Like, I mean, it, it sent a message for sure. It threw an elbow up, but like... But when he said no on Twitter... He already knew. He, he said no on Twitter. That was August 1. He had signed the contract with McLaren on July 4. He could have said, go eat my bleeping bleep, Alpine, you bleepers. And it would have been okay because he had signed the contract with McLaren a month before that. No. So... I don't even, who knows if he wrote that tweet. I'm sure his management company might've written it for him. And I'm sure there was some like twisty of the knife to be like, you idiots, you screwed us over. So we had to go do this. And now you're trying to do this bullshit to us. Twist the knife, screw you. So Alpine, if you're looking for new lawyers, please contact us at, at Flippin' F1 because we got a couple that could probably do this right the next time you need to get this done, if you get this done. It's okay. My question is, what is Zach Brown playing at? I mean, he's in the last four months seems to have signed, well, if you're free and you're halfway decent, he's signed you. It doesn't matter what series you're in. And somehow Unless your to, name is Daniel Ricardo. Unless your name is Daniel Ricardo, in which case he's sent to your packing. But what's he yes. playing at? Because he's got more drivers than seats. Mm, he's got two, if not three, IndyCar seats. He's had one, now filled Formula One seat. I think there's two Formula E seats. Yeah, maybe he's got about the right number, but Jesus. It's complicated. This has been the most bizarre, silly season. It's not over yet. 
It's not over yet, but it has been the most bizarre silly season, I would argue, since 91, when Michael decided to dump in Jordan in between races. Well, and that's why the CRB was created, actually, because there was competing valid contract claims. But we it's are true. living the Marcus Erickson future. Marcus Erickson, August 1st, former Formula One driver, this year's Indy 500 winner. He didn't win the IndyCar championship today, sad face. But he had predicted August 1st that Alpine was going to be Ocon Gasly, which is looking closer and closer to being a thing. Alpha Tauri was going to be Schumacher Sonoda. And we've recently heard that Alpha Tauri wanted to hire Colton Herta, son of Brian Herta, a former IndyCar champion, out of IndyCar to Formula One. But the FIA seems to pretty concretely come out and said, well, he doesn't quite have enough super license points, which something else we'll talk about. And we're not going to make an exception for him. And then Marcus said, McLaren was going to be Norris Piastri. Check. Alfa Romeo bought us Joe. We don't know. Joe's probably going to come back. Predicted that Haas was going to be Magnus and Ricciardo. Who knows? And that Williams is going to be Albon and DeVries. And I think we've pretty much confirmed today that Williams ought to be Albon and DeVries starting, oh, I don't know what the next race. Yeah, Singapore. Yeah. October Not 2nd. Monday. Let's see that name on yeah. there. Yeah. You know. it, it is a silly season. And, you know, but, but Marcus Erickson, how did he predict this? On August 1st, like it just blows my mind. Right. The one thing not predicted in the Ericsson future, but I'm pretty sure Zach Brown has signed Andrew Spencer to a contract next year. It's unsubstantiated, but you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, I got some breaking news to develop the deal. I'm going to be starting off in uh, McLaren's golf As a caddy, right? You're, you're going to be it's, Zach Brown's golf course caddy. caddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Crazy season. That's a crazy prediction, but I don't think it's the. I don't think that's where it's going to end. I don't think. I don't think it's that far off. I don't I, think it's far off. I've been talking about I don't think it's text. far off. I can see Gasly being like oh, of AlphaTauri, even though they don't have somebody back up. Well, I don't see them signing. Dude, all the all the rumors are basically the number just has to be right. Yeah. Well, it's but always, this has turned into football world. transfer stuff, which is, you know, how much can we get out of a driver? I mean, I can't say it enough. I think Danny Rick at Haas is a great move for the brand, for the racing team, for the personalities, for the entertainment value. I think that's where it falls down. I think it's a, it'd be a poor move for Danny. I don't think it's a smart move on his part. It would be an exit strategy, but that's it. You know, the Haas team, I'm sorry, the Haas team are shit. Well, they're very shortly going to fall to eighth. And uh, granted, they're running on a shoestring and they've got no sponsorship and everything Yeah, you like know that. what? So I'm going to actually disagree with this. And I know the Euro brand champion fills, but like if Haas signs somebody like Danny Rick, they're going to bring in far more recognizable American brands than they would with the drivers that they have right now. There's more sponsor money coming in, which means better development overall in that car better components overall in that car. I think it actually is a great move from a standpoint of the money that comes in from a guy like Danny, who's loved in the States. He has great valence there, you know, brings all kinds of stuff. You can get rid of your alkali. You can get rid of all of these other podunk they sponsors did. that are doing for you. I know what you're doing. You know I'm saying like, <laughs> I was going to say, you got rid of their quote unquote podunk sponsors are Gene Haas's giant, massive machine tool company. And then a giant German internet concern. That's a mix. Schumacher based sponsor. I like it, but the way the rumors are going is Danny is actually going to do the, and we saw this way more in the 90s, like Damon Hill, Mika Hakkinen, do a year or two as a test driver or reserve driver in this case. It seemed, you know, there's a lot of rumors saying he's going to go be Mercedes reserve driver, do their simulator work, do their reserve work, their filming work, yada, yada, yada. Or Anthony Davidson. Oh, yes. 
Isn't he like 50? <laughs> yeah, no, he's not. <laughs> but poor guy, he's going to be out of a job if that happens. No, I totally see that more for Danny Rick or a jump over to the an American League. I mean, I see it's a great move. I like it. I mean, obviously, as a Merck fan, I like it. But as a Danny Rick fan, I just love the possibilities that come with him being open in the Wild West. We'll see if the Erickson future comes true. Where do you guys want to go next on Silly Season? What other seats are still open? Yeah. <laughs> well, the Haas seat. <laughs> Does the Mick seats. make it another season? Does McShoe make with it Haas? another season? With Haas or anybody? I think that's a question mark, to be honest with you. I yeah. like Mick. I think he's got great potential. I think he needs to be in a better car. He had a great fight with Nicholas Latifi for DFL today. Like some beautiful passing. Yeah, I mean, that car... I mean, did they have any kind of a Monza spec anything for that car this weekend? I don't think they did. No. I, mean, I don't they think were, they did. I think they just did t-shirt bolted it together and put it on the track Spence. That's what they did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, look, they, let, they were destined to beat the FL, you know, or thereabouts. He, he's shown some real moments of brilliance. I think what we need to remember is that, look, he's in effect a rookie also this year. I mean, the car was so bad last year. I don't know that you can really ascribe anything to that season. Uh, I mean, certainly didn't have any kind of a measuring stick to compare himself against. So, I don't know. I would like to see him get another season. Happy for that to be with Haas. And that's where I think it's most likely going to be. And just see. And I think, look, if he's still at the end of next season getting convincingly beaten by his teammate, then yeah, maybe it's time to look out for I mean, to double check, like Mick is 15th, 12 points in the driver's standings. He'd actually be tied with K Meg right now. But for the fact K Meg finished fifth in that first race, which was a 10 point bump. And Mick is ahead of Yuki Sonoda, Joe Guan Yu, Lance Stroll, Alex Albon, Nick DeVry, and Nick Latifi. He's not sitting like the basement basement on the driver's championship. You, and you see the moves that he makes. I mean, the move he made yeah. today, that was a spectacular. On, on Nick Latifi, on Nick Latifi. Like, almost locking his brakes, getting the pass done, losing it, and then on the next corner, and then repassing him at the next one. Yeah. La- and yeah, that was a spectacular pass. It was really well done. He's had a lot of moments of brilliance like that. I think, you know, points scoring-wise, he is behind K-Mac because exactly as Gareth said, that first race. However, you look at how he's raced recently, and he's consistently been ahead of K-Mac. And this is the Marcus Erickson future. If you're somebody like Alpha Tauri who says, okay, we'll let Gasly go after 23. We signed him for 23, but he doesn't want to be here. There's no future for him with us. We'll take X amount of millions of dollars. And yeah, we'll pick up somebody like Mick Schumacher because it seems like our driver academy pipeline is garbage. So yeah, we'll take somebody like Schumacher who's actually outscoring the other driver who's got a seat for next year, potentially. Or how much influence does Audi have in Salva Alfa Romeo at this point? Do they boot Joe out? Well, Alfa Romeo still got another year on their deal with them. As we're seeing, what is a deal? I don't think you lose that Chinese money, man. Depends on your lawyers. It's just too big, yeah. I don't think it's It's that big. uh, You look at the sponsorship on the car, it's massive. And even Vasura said they have not generated what they expected. I mean, there's some, but so let's say that both Alfa drivers, Valerie Bottas and Joe Guan Yu, have suffered with shit reliability this year, quite frankly. Bottas is actually 10th with 46 points in the driver's standings. Like, good for him for dragging that brick up there earlier this year. And Joe's in 17th on six points, so about half of what Mick has scored. 
Joe seems to be a very nice, hardworking guy who's doing the best in his rookie season with a crap car. I'm just throwing options out there. Here's the thing. like A lot of that story is going to come out in Singapore, though, right? Because they're not racing in China this year. They're not racing in China next mm-hmm. year, right? So Singapore is where the population that it's the closest thing to his home race. It's where the population is most likely to support him, the local population. Let's see what happens all of a sudden when they get to see him race up close and then talk about sponsorship, right? He hasn't been anywhere near there for a long time. Same thing with Yuki at Suzuka. Like, I think it's going to be lots of fanfare, lots of interesting opportunities for brands to step in and say, hey, look, we got this driver and I want to get noticed now. So and I would say that this is a thing with Asian brands is that this is one of those cases where all politics are local, right? Like, they are very localized to their close nations or close related nations, as opposed to being some of the global brands. I and mean, frankly, I still don't know who Splunk is, but their logo is fun, right? But I mean, Sorry, who? and yeah, exactly. They sponsor a little team called McLaren. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but they're right up front. Sorry, what, on, what, uh, what, on this, uh, what is the sponsor? Splunk. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like blockchain to me. <laughs> Actually. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, guys, if you get our sponsors, please do. And I will make sure that I know exactly what you do and how you do it and why you do it. Just contact us at FlipitF1 and we will make sure that you are splashed over all of our podcasts. Pro tip, I hear Randy really needs Manscaped to come on board. <laughs> I don't know who you've been talking to. But <laughs> Sorry, your wife a couple of weekends ago. Uh, that's true. <laughs> what the hell did you see then? <laughs> Anyways. Oh, shit. Well, we'll see what happens. I think there's a lot. I mean, I, I get it, right? Like having the marketing background that I do, I'm always looking at like how the brand's playing this out. How is this becoming yet another new source for Liberty Media? How is this playing out by way of what the teams do? Like I get the logic behind the drivers and the skills and things like that. But ultimately, it's an entertainment sport, as all sport is, right? All sports entertainment. So it all comes down to where can you get the advertising money? Where can you get the sponsorship money? Where can you get the brand space to actually open yourself up to new avenues so that you can compete even better, right? Like it's, you know, who's got the best shoe deal ultimately? Mm-hmm. So, so we were wrong. Splunk is not blockchain per se. It's software for searching, monitoring, and analyzing machine-generated data via web-style interface. Sounds like something fun. You know, I was just thinking I needed some of that in my life right (laughs) at the moment. I mean, there are so many buzzwords in this. Software helps capture, index, correlate real-time data in searchable repository from which you can generate graphs, reports, alerts, dashboards, and visualizations. That'd be fun. Data platform for the hybrid world. I mean, look at this shit. It's full of shit like that. So like they crunch numbers and tell you how to do stuff with it? Yeah. (laughs) That's all those words mean. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like Microsoft Dynamics was for Williams a while back and things like that. It Splunk sounds like it's a bunch of guys walking around with like a mug that says, I'm a freak in the sheets, and it's got an XL logo on their coffee mug kind of thing. <laughs> I was going to say, just look at like the Alfa Romeo Sauber website. This will pick Ryan Whiskey as a sponsor. There are some Chinese partners, sponsors with Alfa Romeo. There's one called AMX, which was a great AMC product. And their official partner, like Landing Page, is just a logo. I don't know what to do. Like the subsidiary of AMC, the movie company? No, no. The AMX, American Motors Experimental, was a muscle car produced by American Motors Corporation in the late 60s, early 70s, Randy. Get with it. Oh, shit. I don't know. <laughs> I just host this damn thing. Now it's an official partner with Chinese writing of Alfa Romeo Sauber. And there's somebody else called SenseTime, leading AI software company with a better future through innovation and 
So it looks like Joe has brought some sponsors to Alpha, but I'm not seeing any kind of what's called them headline sponsors. They're all kind of second tier, third tier sponsors. Better futures than innovation. Let's take a great tagline. Flippin' F1 is brought to you by Luddite, who predicts a worse future through innovation. But I, I think that's the point, though. And that's what's bringing in new fans is the marketing. Like, that's the Netflix of it all, right? Is how do we bring in new people? How do we get those eyeballs and also turn those eyeballs into profitable looks at like what you see on the car and what you see when you're racing, right? Like, that's the whole point of it all. And yeah, a lot of these brands that we're seeing right now are probably fairly emergent, if you will. But this is Marlboro. Or, or maybe emergent in our lives. Like, a giant Chinese AI company is not going to be something that like I run across in my day to day. But if you live in China, they may be front and center. So it's very much a regional thing. The last one I want to highlight is a company called Asos. It's called Asos. It's an Alfa Romeo partner about destroy, reset, and improve with Asos. Knew you would find that one funny. Exactly. Let's switch gears for a second on the silly season. What is going to happen to Porsche? They've effectively been dumped by Red Bull. <laughs> this is my favorite take of the whole one. Red Bull doesn't oh. play well with others. Who so, yeah, I mean, come on. We already knew <laughs> that. Oh, this is, but what is this is this, so good. There's a two part question here. What happens to Porsche? Yeah. And the other part is what actually does happen to Red Bull? Because Red Bull is run by a guy who's getting up there. And at some point, that's going to move on. Well, but the guy who's getting up there, I think he only owns 50%. Dietrich made a shirt. Mayashitz? Mayashitz? Like he only owns half yeah. a Red Bull. Yeah. And I forget the name of the family, but they're Thai family, who actually, the founders came up with the Red Bull product that Mayashitz customized European tastes. They own the other half. Let's talk about the Red Bull equation. You know, the senior executive, whatever you want to call them, leadership Red Bull, Christian Horner, Adrian Newey, and Helmut Marco, who, as far as we know, don't own any of the race team, but probably would want to, like Toto does have basically said the culture coming in of Porsche would not mesh well with our culture to be responsive and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's just a and polite way go, of saying they wanted to change it. I didn't want changed. Thank you, Christian. Or they want to do stuff in a different way that I don't want to do, which if you ever go and watch any of the documentaries about why did Toyota fail after spending so much money in F1? It's because Toyota tried to impose their corporate culture on an F1 team. And it could make decisions in a timely way to save its life and respond as quickly and as fast as it needs to. And the Red Bull executive leadership have said, in order to be nimble and responsive, we can't have somebody yoking us like a major automaker. We will take your money to put your sticker on our car, but we're not going to let you buy in or let you buy in in a way that lets you actually substantively change things. We'll give you 15%. You can come to the meetings. That seems to be it. So the question is, can Red Bull successfully produce, starting in 2026, a Formula One engine and the hybrid powertrain by themselves, or maybe with Honda? Or by themselves, by plastering another corporate name on the top of it that pays for it. Come on, Volkswagen, get in there. Oh, Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> no. They've already got potentially two engines in at that point. They're not going to put a third. No, and where does no, Porsche know. go? It's, I know. It's very much, if Porsche wants to enter F1, basically they have to you know, take the engine Audi's developing, find somebody who wants to put a Porsche sticker on it, 
be like, don't pull the sticker back, but this is the Audi engine. I'm just saying, Professor, the RBR Ford Focus engine. Ford Cosworth. Come on. <laughs> bring back a- Cosworth. I would be yeah, there. Bring I back Cosworth. totally love that. RBR Cosworth. Yes. Sign me up. I don't know. I'll buy a hat and put it on my head for every one of these podcasts that year. I will too, year. and I'll take the tags off. <laughs> yes, exactly. What a normal human being does. It's unbelievable, Garrett. One of us will have to keep it just so the official, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, the executive leadership of Red Bull didn't want another corporate master. They wanted things as it is, and they were able to assert that, and Porsche fucked off. I'll say this. I don't totally disagree with Red Bull's approach in a sense that they don't want to, you know, why change something that isn't broken? Good point. Their management structure, their decisions-making structure is right. It has been right for the last 12 years. Why change it? Because unbroke stuff gets stale and things get stale within three years. That's an easy equation, right? Spence, what do you think, though? Like, do you think we get another racing team in then? Like, does Formula One open itself up to a 21st, maybe a 22nd team then? Uh, you mean like to an 11th or 12th team? Look, I mean, it seems like Audi is going to be coming in via the Sauber route. Porsche does not seem like they have an appetite to go it alone. Otherwise, I think they would have done it already. Look, I think the most likely candidate for an 11th team on the grid is Andretti, but I don't know. It doesn't seem there's a lot of appetite for that amongst a lot of the other teams. There have been some rumors surfaced lately that maybe Dietrich is looking to offload his interest in AlphaTauri, and that's going to be a team that Andretti buys, and they're going to start from there. I was going to say that's Andretti's route in. Yeah, that could be the route in. Putting Colton Herta there now would be a pretty logical step if that's what they were going to do. So Herta's not going to get a super license this year, it seems. And nor should he with the rules that they are. Should they be changed? Yes, but with the way they're written, he shouldn't get one. Sorry, has, has that been reported now that he's not getting it? Dominicali has come out and said he ought not to get one. Like there is no force majeure here to grant him the extra, you know, eight points based on the fact that when he won the Indy Lights Championship, there weren't enough people playing. I like the alliteration though. Andretti, AlphaTauri, Audi. I like it. But it'd be like an Andretti Porsche. Be Andretti Porsche if they're going to do that. It will be Andretti Porsche, but it was fun for a second. Whatever. Anyways, Phil, you were about to go somewhere with the silly season. Where else were you going to go? I honestly have no idea anymore. We've covered drivers. I mean, Latifi is gone. We know that. And DeVries is in. Whether it's Singapore or whether it's the first race in 23, it's going to happen. It's just, it's inevitable. Do we think it's happening this season or because Nick's a nice guy and his daddy gives us money, we're going to let him see out the year? I've said this from the beginning, Latifi does not see out the season. And I'm going to stand by that based on this performance today. 100% Latifi does not see out the season. Spence, how does that make you feel? Look, as one of Nick Latifi's biggest super fans, obviously makes me very upset. But uh, let's keep one thing in perspective here. If Latifi was going to score points this year, it was going to be today. Like that track is pretty yeah, close. It was going to be high speed track where the Williams has yeah. the advantage. Spar Monza. Absolutely. And did he? Did he score he, points? Spence? He did. But, but no. DeVries did. And look, not to take anything away from him, I think he had a fantastic ride. But here's what I can almost absolutely guarantee you won't happen. That's if you put DeVries in the car in Singapore, he's not scoring points there, right? Neither's Albon. No, neither's Albon, though. Yeah, right? Albon. I mean, I think... Exactly. Uh, I, I'm just saying part of what we saw today was just the fact that, you know, DeVries was in a car which is very well suited for that 
particular style of track. I think he's got a lot of talent, and I think he's certainly more talented than Latifi is, but he's not the second coming. Like I don't think that Williams is going no, to want to have to pay out a bunch of money to tell Latifi to go hit the bricks so that they can bring the reason for the last six races in the year. I, I just don't see that happening. They are if they're chasing points. I mean, that's the thing. If they think they can pick up some points somewhere, and that's going to help them, they're going to do it. This is what I'm saying. Do you do it at the end of the year, right? Do you do it at a couple of high-profile races like Brazil and Abu Dhabi, where he's going to get good looks and good views, where like sponsors are watching that race? Like You don't do it in Mexico. Mexico is already a party for Perez, and nobody else is watching anybody else. But Brazil, yeah, and Abu Dhabi, for sure, Like where all of your sponsors are coming out to the end-of-year race. So, hey, let's show you the future. Let's do the thing. Like, I don't know. Again, I, just coming at it from a branding standpoint, it would make sense to me. But yeah, sure. I mean, in a vacuum, I agree. But I mean, I think what you better remember is that one, they've got a driver contract with Latifi. Can they get out of it? Absolutely. But it's going to cost money. The bigger problem is probably also that his seat is very much tied to other money that they've taken. Right. So unless they want mm-hmm. to go back and stroke a big check to Safina and Lavazza and all the other Latifi and co names that are on the car, like, I don't think they got to do that particularly because it's owned by a private equity company now. And those guys aren't in the business of writing one and a half, two million dollar checks just for the hell of it, right? This is an investment for them. And every kind of expenditure like that reduces their return. I think they're going to stay the course until the end of the year. Maybe you'll see the reason. But I hear you. But again, that's where I go back to like an Abu Dhabi, where you want those names on the car in that country. Like you want that kind of exposure. So yeah, even if your driver isn't there, you know what? We'll figure something out, guys. But yeah, we'll keep your name on the car for that. But we're putting Nick in the car, the other Nick. Yeah. And I think here's the thing. Sponsorship versus how it's attached to the driver. We don't know how these contracts are all written. What we do know is if you look consistently, and I say consistently, there's going to be times where this isn't going to hold true. But consistently over the last year with Albon in the Williams and Latifi in the Williams, Albon is beating him by a second easily on the lap time, right? So I have one question and two comments on this. Albon's been kicking his ass all year. Yeah. If Latifi had been the one who got appendicitis and DeVries had stood in for Latifi, how would Williams have fared this weekend? I'm just, you know, very curious. Oh, I love this. This is the what if. I love this. This is great. Uh, They would have scored three points because they would have been ninth ninth and and tenth. Exactly. Easily. But I think Spence is on to something where Williams may not have the ability to score points again this year. Like there may not be, let's call it a Williams friendly track for the rest of the year. And you're right. Like look at Williams website and our partners, and they're just in boxes arranged on a grid and starts off with Sofina, which is Nick Latifi's dad's company, followed by Lavaza, which is Nick Latifi's dad's company, followed by everybody else. So they're going to let him see out the year. They're not going to write that check. Like kind of end of silly season, but they're going to announce shortly probably that Nick DeVries is going to drive for them next year. And we thank Nick Latifi and his family very much and blah, blah, blah. Nice things are said. There you go. Because right. it doesn't matter if Nick DeVries is 12 or Nick Latifi is 18th. You're not scoring points either way. Yeah, sure. All right, let's hear this goes. Yeah. So like the stewards, I dropped the red flag too early and then once not at all. So Phil, actually get us quickly started on the steward sewer. Yeah. I, what the fuck are they doing? 
is my question. I'm sorry. This race today should have been red flagged for the last five laps easily. Phil, I'm going to cut you off right there. It wasn't the stewards who get to yeah, throw the, the red flag. It, that's a race it's director. It's race director. Well, the race director should have red flagged the fucking race. Honestly, like there needs to be a policy and it should be written down that says if an incident happens and there's five to 10 laps left, whatever it is, X percentage, I don't give a shit how you word it. You stop the fucking race, deal with the mess and let them race for the last four or five laps. This was bullshit. Finishing behind a safety car. Honestly, like this is not what I sign up to watch Formula One for. It's certainly not what I pay to watch Formula One for. Do you read the terms and conditions of F1 TV? We might not even show your race C-spot last year. They have no right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, talking like a typical lawyer. So honestly, as far as I'm concerned, this was bullshit. It should have been red flags. And that would fall in line with all the conversations we had even last year when Abu Dhabi happened at the same fucking thing. But on Gareth, any serious stuff to begin with? Nah, no. I mean, other than Nick DeVry, he got to get a jail-free card from the stewards. So, Yay. Let's end this thing, fellas. Win's your win. Three impressions. One of them is either the last triple header and where you think things are going. One of them is just venue stuff. And of course, one's driver stuff, as always. So let's get you started, Spence. Start us up. Look, driver thought, we've kind of beat it to death, but, you know, Breeze is really impressive today. Really like what I saw from him. Just underscores the fact that he is a talented driver. He won F2. He won Formula E. He needs to be on the grid in a seat. And I hope that we see him next year. In terms of a team, you know, it was a really, really, really shit weekend for Alpine. They can't have another one of those if they're really going to stick ahead of McLaren this year. I think it looks good for them to finish fourth right now. But I don't know if they're going to do better than they did today. Seems like there's been a little bit of a drop off particularly in Alonzo's face since he's announced that he told him to hit the skids there just before the summer break. In terms of what's coming up, I'm excited since I've been watching F1 again. I haven't seen any races in Far East of Asia, so it'll be exciting to go back to Singapore, exciting to go to Suzuka and to experience those things. Suzuka in particular, Saturday night race for the guys in Vancouver, so we're excited about that. Going to have a few drinks to stay up late to watch. Wind and wow side of things. I've loved the triple header. These are you know, certainly three of my most favorite tracks. I really do enjoy them because of the history that we have there and the racing that usually produces. Looking forward to going onto some of the other tracks now. A little bit of a break, which is annoying, but that's because they dropped the Russian Grand Prix. As for drivers, welcome, Nick. It is fantastic to see what he did today in the Williams. And I think that certainly set the stage for a lot more to come, and I'm still standing with my decision that you will be in a race car before the end of this year, without a doubt, on a regular basis. Winger Wow. Team observation, like Pierre Gasly dragged the Alpha Tauri into some points, and we have a proper fight for the kind of 7-8 positions in the Constructors' Championship, and that will be just c- kind of come down to the randomness of who from Haas or Alpha Tauri can pick up points in the next few races. Would love to see Yuki score some points at home. It's always a great thing to see somebody score points at home Grand Prix. And then follow what Phil said about future of the sport. If we want grandstand finishes and the rules are written to be like, 
yes, let's have a spectacle type finish. Totally do it. They're not right now. So I understand why we didn't. Ought to have happened. It's race director discretion should have happened. And then this is actually a commentary thought. Naomi Schiff, who is a former W Series driver, she did some commentary, I think, in FP1, FP2 for the Skyfeed. And it was fantastic. Bang on. So good. Yeah. There was so much fantastic technical. She needs to be on more often, let me tell you. Yeah. She needs to be on the Sky commentary. Exactly. More often during quality, during races, the kind of, you know, you have a driver like a Martin Brundle and a person like David Croft, who's given the color commentary. Your driver person adds the technical aspect of it. And her technical input was markedly better than a Karun Chandok input, a Davidson input. And it's same. And I like Karun. I think he's good. But Naomi yeah. was fantastic. She really... She's amazing in that role. And I actually loved hearing her. It was- I was watching, I think, Eating Breakfast Friday, listening to this. I'm like, this is bloody fantastic. More of this, please. Yeah. Or even just like a back and forth between like Daresta and Naomi Schiff. I would watch that. Oh, yeah. Or like Button and Naomi Schiff. Yeah. 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 Because we had Jensen Button do some of the race commentary the last couple of races. It was great. And then Future of the Sport, let's just call it. Please help and allow female or female-identified drivers to get into the pipeline, Tef one yeah, beyond absolutely. W Series. Because Naomi Schiff seemed to have topped out in W Series. But Alice Powell, W Series driver, was doing a bunch of F2 commentary this weekend. Help them get in the pipeline. Yeah, for sure. Right on. You know, I'll start. Like, I had to walk away when Phil was doing his thing on Stewart Sewer. Uh, I will say this. And I know you guys keep telling me to shut up about it, but the reality is, we saw it today, right? F1 has broken that rule once, and it was Abu Dhabi last year, and it sucks. It sucks to think about it. It sucks that retroactively to think about that shit. No, no, no. They no, did not break the rule. Let's go back to that. Come on now. What do you mean they didn't break the rule? There was creative interpretation about how many cards were allowed to go past the safety. They card. did not break the rule. These lawyers for breaking the rule. It's not breaking the rules. No. They broke the rule. They it, did not all of a sudden, break the rules. They interpreted the rules, Randy. They did not break the rules. I'm not the lawyer here, broke but I'm going to stand rules. on that one. They broke the damn rules. It was they not did. a, like, finish under the safety car, everybody oh, laps I'm or so nobody sick. laps. It was a, you call it a creative interpretation. You can fire it all the way you want, but they proved again. And I'm not going to say why they broke that rule, but they broke that rule once, and it sucks. Just drop the damn red flag if there are 10 laps to go or less. No, they didn't break a rule. But what they did is they set up a grandstand finish. And I agree with you, Randy, that if you're going to set up a grandstand finish, red flag it, let everybody be on the same level playing field, and then have the grandstand. Do it that way. And the best part is, I agree with you on that part, Randy. Not on the first part, though. Whatever. Like, they did it dirty. All the players are saying the same damn thing now. Anyways, anyways, fix the damn rule, I think is the point of the future of the sport, right? Set the standards, either 10 or 7 or whatever the arbitrary number is. If there's an incident with that many laps left, you drop the red flag, right? And away you go. And let's not make it about, well, the cherry picker was out there, but everybody was safe. Yeah, there's an incident with 10 laps to go or 7 laps to go. I'll, whatever, I'll say that that was bullshit. The cherry picker should not have been on the fucking racetrack. That actually should be in violation of what the rules are, if I'm not mistaken, because I don't believe since the whole Jules Bianchi incident, they've been allowed to have that on their like Equipment. 
equipment on, on the, the track. On the track with a safety car? Yeah. I'd have to look at that. But I don't know. I'm not the technical expert on that one. But I thought that when that happened, that's when that had changed. Yeah. I don't know. And we talk about it all the time, but like we're at the point, Formula One has evolved enough. Even other big money sports, you know, American football, European football have all established some very solid conventions, right? It's not about rule interpretation anymore. Like there are enough black and whites that you can just put, this is what it is. And this is the penalty. This is what it is. And this is the next step, right? Like it's time for Formula One to actually write a real rule and get a solid set of standard conventions that fans can rely on and understand what is happening. And I get, there's always going to be a little bit of nuance to racing. That's some of the fun of the sport, but there's a whole lot other fun things that are happening on the track to be sitting here debating rules. Like I talk about roughing in every other sport too, but never with the same level of intensity or the same just head scratching that I do with the stewards in Formula One. And I mean, I love this sport as, as much as you guys do, right? But come on, like, let's get this right already. My other thoughts, going to kind of move more towards Winter Win. My driver thought, obviously, is always going to go to Lewis, but it's actually going to George, right? Who I think is in a pitch battle with Perez. And I'm loving it. I really do think that Mercedes is coming alive and it really comes alive on those medium tires. And I think there's going to be a really fun bit that we get to start to see now where like that narrative of George versus Checo really starts to have some fun in the season. Then you get sites in there as well. And there's a whole lot of like that battle right there, that three, four, five battle is going to be some real joy. You know, maybe Charles will drop back or Ferrari will F up the strategy again to make him part of a two, three, four, five battle and super exciting stuff. You know, I thought that in a track that, all season long, the Mercedes haven't done well on straight lines, and I thought they did great this weekend. I was watching that car, and it looked like it started to come alive. Super excited about that. That was fun to see, and I still keep wondering, like, what the hell is happening with McLaren? Like, Lando gets a lot of that car, but he's still not getting nearly enough. So let's see where that goes. You know, future of the sport, I like double headers. I don't think I love the triple header thing. And maybe I'm biased because we run a podcast, and it's hard to fucking try to get three weekends in a row where we can record Maybe it's just because that's a lot of Formula One and I get a lot of pressure from it. But I kind of like two weeks, three weeks felt like a lot to me. You know, I could watch racing every weekend, but it just felt like there was just too much going on. And I get there was quirks of schedules. I get there was all kinds of other things. I do want to see rotating tracks. I want to see a core set of tracks that we go to every year, like Spa, like Monza, like Brazil, and then a few that get rotated out. And every other year, every couple of years, make it affordable for those racing associations to actually host every couple of years. I see the same damn thing about the Olympics, though, right? Like it was like, just put one Olympic village on every continent and let different countries go to that village and host rather than it being in the city itself, right? Because what you're trying to accent is the country, not the venues, right? Let the venues be consistent. But I mean, we can have that conversation another day. In terms of what I'm looking forward to, God, I'm so excited to go back to Suzuka in a few weeks. And Singapore is going to be awesome. I'm super stoked. You know, I loved Malaysia for so long, and I'm stoked we're going back to Singapore at the very least. I think there's a lot that is going to happen there. And frankly, last thing I'm going to say is, God, I miss hanging out with you idiots. This has been far more fun 
And I forget how much I get out of just hanging out with you guys. That's my winter win. Oh, I feel so lovely now. I mean, before we end, I was checking back in our little murals where we write all of our things. Two points. One, last race, Netherlands, the Lewis Hamilton radio of I'd like to thank mechanics after you got screwed over on strategy. Alonzo level gold. Well done, Lewis. He was not happy with the strategy. And he's, I'd like to thank the mechanics who had great pit stops. The second one was, you know, celebrity sighting fashion. Hugh Grant was on a screen a few times this race at Monza. Holy fuck, he's old. <laughs> yes, yes, he, he is. He looked ancient. Like I love Hugh Grant. I love his movies. But who the fuck gives up Elizabeth Early? I'm just saying. <laughs> you just like Christmas movies where an awkward man wears a sweater and overcomes obstacles. I kind of do. I kind of do. <laughs> it's Randy's story. <laughs> <laughs> the Randy Nanjad story today on Lifetime. But speaking of the radios at the last race, that was the one race where all the drivers were so polite about absolutely everything. It was actually sickening in terms of the sarcasm that was coming across about, you know, well, he kind of got in my way here, you know, and he got a little close on this one, right? The drivers were just, I don't know. I missed the days last year when we were hearing a lot more of the full force of the radios. <laughs> Not from the team principals, just the drivers. The outright bitchiness. Well, and with that, Phil wants ruder people on radios. Sure. This being auditory medium, we'll end it here. Yeah, for sure. All right. With a fuck you, Phil. Yay, there we go. Thank you. I feel that. What'd you say, Phil? What'd you say, Phil? What? Huh? Uh, fuck what? off. Cut me uh, off one Phil? more time. Come on. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, folks. And that's another episode of Flippin' F1. We lost Spence at the very end, but that's fine because we didn't have him at the beginning. Of course, if you like us, please, please give us some stars or leave a review. We'd love that. As always, please follow us anywhere that you follow your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all the regular spots. Of course, as it is every week, Flippin' F1 is edited by Eric Wellman, who makes us sound far smarter and funnier than we actually are. We are a team of amateurs, so if you're looking to sponsor us, please, please get in contact. Follow us at, at Flippin' F1, and of course, have a great night. This is Randy, your host, signing off, and signing off for Spence as well. Flippin' F1 is a Hobby Farms production. Ah, uh, jeez. Good night. <laughs>